0: I want to welcome you to Counterpoint. Counterpoint is something we do uh, every so often when we feel like there is either a book or a movie or a current thought or a trend um, inside or outside the church. We go, you know what, let's, let's speak to that subject um, if there's confusion um, that's out there. And this is a subject which um, obviously we're asked about a lot and creates a lot of interest. And that's the whole idea of the sign gifts, specifically around um, tongues and healing and prophecy. And, and so what we want to do is, is give you an opportunity to kind of listen in on a conversation that we're going to have together up here. We have one hour together, Recognize that um, in one hour we're not going to be able to cover all of, the, all of this and answer all of your questions. But uh, we're going to do our best to cover a lot of ground. And then what you have received when you walked in, hopefully, is you've got this page that will point you to a few books and some uh, messages that Todd has given that speak to this subject. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of other materials out there, but we think these will be helpful to you in the days ahead. Um, We're going to reserve this amount of time for one hour. Um, We're going to move through this information pretty quickly, and then we'll be here afterwards. We'll give you a chance uh, to take off if you need to. We want to be respectful of your time. We recognize some of you all have come from work, and so we're going to be faithful to wrap it up right at 1 o'clock. I want to uh, introduce the panel today. Both of these gentlemen are on leadership at Watermark, and this is Kyle Kegler, And Todd Wagner, many of you already know, my name is Blake Holmes. Hmm. And uh, I want to just, again, thank you for coming. I recognize this is a subject that there's a lot of confusion around this. And so I'm going to pray for us and ask the Lord Lord to uh, grant us clarity and the ears to hear and the eyes to see what he would want us to in this hour together. All right, would you pray with me, please? Well, Father in Heaven, I just thank you so much for an opportunity to gather for this hour and um, to open up your word and uh, look together at what Scripture has to say on a subject which unfortunately has brought a lot of confusion and division within your church. And so, Lord, we recognize that good men and women uh, disagree with, I'm sure, the views that we might express uh, this afternoon. But, but Lord, what we want to do, Lord, is we want to speak faithfully where the Scriptures speak and remain silent where the Scriptures remain silent. Lord, I pray that um, where there is confusion, you would allow this hour to bring clarity. Mm. I pray, Father, that you would uh, instruct our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would give us humility of mind. I pray, Father, for those who have walked in this room because they've either been hurt by by this subject or they're confused by this subject. Are they're angry over this subject. And um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I pray, Father, that you would minister to our hearts. And uh, you would give us just this this hour, Lord, to be free of distraction and to make the most of this time together. Thanks for my friends, Kyle and Todd, and the way you've gifted them, the way you've uh, used them to serve the body of Christ here at Watermark. We're grateful for this for this time. We give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so um, <clears throat> what we're going to do is, is I'm going to... Play the moderator, if you will, and i 'm going to ask our panel of experts up here a series of questions questions that i 'm often asked, and i 'm going to do my best to anticipate the questions I realize probably many of you already have so again, um, we 're not going to be able to open it up to uh, the audience just because of our limited amount of time, but we 're going to move through this pretty quickly and um, and hopefully answer the questions that you already have and then what we don 't cover. We'll be happy to stay afterwards and do our best to answer those questions. All right, all right, gang. Well, Todd and Kyle, thanks for agreeing to do this. Obviously, this subject—you know what—I kind of like this. Look at this chair I got. I put this in. First of all, I feel like the Munchkin I shrink in this chair. I'm already short, <laughs> but uh, if I don't fall asleep, I just ate lunch, hopefully this will go well. But obviously this subject is, generates a lot of interest, and, um, and uh, I want to ask you guys just some real general questions, not taking anything for granted, knowing that there's some folks who have walked in here who have probably never even studied this. So my first question is, real simply, what are the spiritual gifts, and where are they found in Scripture?
1: All right. Well, I'll run with this one first. It's always um, important to differentiate between the gift, the spiritual gift, which Jesus promised, which was the Holy Spirit, which was the fulfillment of uh, the expectation of what Moses, all the way back there in Numbers 11, when he was overwhelmed. And he said to the Father, "Uh, listen, why did you bring me out here with these crazy people? Mm. And uh, God said, well, I'm going to take the spirit that's on you and I'm going to give it to others. Uh, He said, go grab 70 liters. He grabbed 70 liters. There were two of them that didn't show up uh, at that meeting. All 70 received it. The two that weren't there... They continued to lead in a spiritual way in the camp. Joshua heard about it, went back to Moses and said, Hey, man, there's two guys out there doing uh, what you're supposed to be doing as a mouthpiece for God, as this great Spirit-led person. And Moses said, Praise God, I wish everybody was filled with the Spirit. Because if everybody was filled with the Spirit, we would not have the chaos and craziness that we've got going on in this nation that I'm leading. And so God promised that one day that was going to happen. Uh, he promises it in the New Covenant. It's mentioned in Jeremiah uh, 31. It's mentioned in Joel 2. And uh, Jesus says that his broken body and shed blood was the means through which that New Covenant was going to be instituted. And we see what we'll call an already but not yet a partial fulfillment of that being accomplished one day uh, in the ways that God always intended on this little event called Pentecost. So that's the gift of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Now, the gifts of the Spirit are even something different than the fruits of the Spirit. But the gifts of the Spirit, there's four places in your Bible. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. We're going to reference a lot of Scripture. And I, my prayer is that you don't take our word for it. You go back and you study these things to see if what we say is true, if we are rightly dividing the word of truth. And um, just as Paul exhorted the, the Bereans to do, who were more noble-minded than others, who listened to Paul and then studied the word to see if they were true. But the, the gifts the Spirit of the Holy Spirit. They are something, there's four E's that I use to remember them. They, they are um, they're, they're something that is are given, maybe a skill or ability that is given to a believer so that with ease and effectiveness they are enabled to edify the body. So what are the four E's? Ease. that's something you have to work incredibly hard at. John Cox, who planted a church up in Washington, D.C. back in the uh, 90s, is quite the able leader, but John would say that his primary giftedness is not in teaching. It wore his hiney out. So after three years of trying to every week get ready to teach, he just said, I'm, I'm tapping out. Um, with me, you know, I, I love it. With you, Blake, I know it's life-giving to study, to mm-hmm. teach, to put things together. And so, so there is a sense of ease. It's still a lot of work, mm-hmm. but it's consistent with who you are. So with ease and effectiveness that enables you to edify the body, which is to say build up the body. Four places in Scripture you can find a list. None of them are exhaustive, which would indicate that God wasn't saying these are the only gifts that I give, but, uh, but they are gifts. You'll find them in Romans 12. He made it really easy for dummies like me. 212s, two 2-4s. Two Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4 are places where the gifts of the Spirit are listed. Now, one more thing about that real quick. There's this thing called the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. We think of fruits because there's nine listed in Galatians 5. You guys know them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Uh, and, and I don't even think all those are exhaustive. But what they're saying there is when the fruit of the gift of the Holy Spirit is present, in your life you will always manifest these things. Because when God is present, love is present, gentleness is present, kindness is present, goodness is present. Self-control is present. Peace is present. And so the fruit of the Spirit is those things we're familiar with from Galatians 5. The gifts of the Spirit, which we're going to talk about, I think, a lot today. Four places. 1 Corinthians, Romans 12. Ephesians, 1 Peter, 4.
0: And, Todd, if we were to turn to those four places, what are some of those gifts we would find? What's listed there?
1: Well, administration, leadership, help, helps or, or service, Hospitality. Um are some giving is another. And then you've got what you're going to say in a minute. What about some of these things that are called the miraculous or the sign gifts? Prophetic gifts, tongues, uh, healings, and miracles.
0: Okay. So before we get there... Let me ask you this, call Oh, Kyle.
1: we're there, baby. I already said it. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle,
0: uh, who who, rec- who receives the gifts of the Spirit, and, and how do how do they receive them?
2: Yeah, and so anytime somebody becomes a Christ follower, kind of crosses the line of faith, they are indwelt with 100% of the Holy Spirit at that point. And in the midst of that transaction, however that works, uh, we're not 100% sure, but you get what we would call as a divine enablement to practice... Um, the gifts that are listed uh, in those four places, or, like Todd said, it's not, those gifts are not exhaustive, they're representative of the gifts. And so that comes at the time of salvation, uh, and it says in First Corinthians twelve seven is a great verse to write down, that the purpose of those gifts is for the, the
0: common good of the body of Christ. Okay, and then how do you know what your gifts are? I mean, if, if, it's, if you receive the gift at the time of conversion... How do I find out what, how the Lord's gifted me?
2: Yeah, I think Todd said it well, so I'll just kind of summarize real quickly. It's, uh, the way I think about it is where you see God working most in your life. We, we talk about the church's role is to make disciples, where you see discipleship happening most in your life when, we're, when you're using your abilities that you've given. So uh, Todd and I were both influenced by a guy named Bill Hybels. And so I'm sitting years ago. I'm sitting in a conference with him, and he's talking. About, he's not teaching the scripture. He is talking about how do you lead the church. And I mean, my heart was pounding within me. I was. I walked away from that, and I said, I have got to be about this right here, different than other things, administration, details, management, that kind of stuff. So it just kind of, it just kind of jumped up inside of me. And then as I led ministry and led other people, I just saw God working through that leadership gift. Uh, that's probably my primary gift. So I would say what kind of connects with your heart, what you're good at, where you see life change, and then also what other people confirm in your life. As they see you leading or see you administrating or see you um, serving, that that's, uh, that gets confirmed by other people.
0: And, and how is that different just than the way somebody is naturally gifted? I mean, yeah, well, people who aren't believers are... Naturally gifted teachers or naturally gifted in hospitality? Or yeah, have... I, I, I
2: think it's very, I, there's a supernaturalness to it, something that we really can't explain, but it is God enabling you through the Holy Spirit to do something better than you could with your own gifts and abilities.
1: Yeah, and I'd say not just better, but it's why you use it, how you use it.
2: Yeah,
1: it's for the purpose of edifying the body of Christ. So a non believer is not going to use their gifts really to build up others intentionally. They might. Mm-hmm. As just a matter of course, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, their gifts are useful. But again, it's not just a natural ability. I mean, God makes some people fast. It's not a spiritual gift that He necessarily gives them. But that's a natural right. ability. And the best way to know your spiritual gifts is what do you love doing, that when you do it, others affirm that you're doing that mm-hmm. is, is a means through which they are brought to maturity in Christ. And so uh, they'll be edified by what you do, by the way you serve. They'll go, what, how do you do that? He goes, it's, it's the joy of my life. You know, to do this. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that will spur them on in their service and their response to Christ. So there's all kinds of spiritual gifts, inventories, and tasks. And really all they do is ask you, what do you like and what are you good at? Mm-hmm. But there's lots of folks that think that they're good at something. The body goes, hey, listen, I'm glad you like to teach, but
0: you're killing us. <laughs> I think that's why American Idol has such a big following, <laughs> yes. does it not? Yes, that's right. So my well, Mama I, told them they could sing, but yeah. nobody else thinks they So that. I think it's really
1: important that, that you'll find some affirmation... And uh, others that will come around you and really uh, say, hey man, God's using you in this way. So that's probably the best way. The best way to know
0: your spiritual gifts: Ask others, what am I really good at? And, and, and then what do you like? Okay, now, while we're all here, That's generally speaking about the gifts, there are some gifts that are commonly referred to as the sign gifts. What are the sign gifts? Why are they called the sign gifts? Yeah. Let, let me jump on that one first. Okay. So, uh,
2: first of all, the 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 scriptures talks about signs several times in the scripture, but there's never there's never that term is not used sign gifts around a certain section of the gifts of the spirit. So we kind of know what those are. Those are we would probably say prophecy, miracles, healing tongues and interpretation, but as we jump into this thing, as you're talking to people and you're having this conversation, there is something that we cannot say enough today. And that is language and words really matter. Okay, so when you start to use some of these terms, a lot of the confusion in the body of Christ... Is because we don't have agreement on what the words mean. So anytime you're talking to somebody about these sign gifts, don't just say if we tongues or prophecy. Ask folks what you mean by that, because there's so much confusion around the language of this. And it's just one of the things you ought to write down on your sheet of paper is clarify the language as we're talking about that. So
1: you're going to see us do that today. Blake's going to ask us some questions the way most people ask us questions, I imagine. And I'm going to say, well. Tell me what you mean by that word in that question. Um, the, the sign gifts, the miraculous gifts, I, I'm going to try and point you guys to Scripture as much as I can. I think that's where I'm going to be most helpful for you. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 and following. This is the, remember I told you there's four places the gifts are listed? 1 Corinthians 12 is, is one of those places. The gifts. Okay, uh, 28 down through 31 says this. And God has appointed in the church, first apostles, that word just means guys that are sent forth, men that God chose to be sent forth from him, that would become part of the foundational leadership of this new entity called the church. Second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administration, various kinds of tongues, are all not... All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But he goes on to say this. Earnestly desire the greatest gifts, and I still show you a more excellent way. What he's going to say there is, look, one of the things we're about to go, I, I am sure, because we're going to talk about tongues, to the chapter in the Bible that is the most exhaustive in his teaching on it, which is 1 Corinthians 14. It's a continuation of this one conversation that Paul's starting already here in chapter 12. Actually, you can trace it back even to the end of 10. And he's going to talk about how there is an abuse in the church of some of these more miraculous gifts. Now look, if somebody brings you tea and says they're doing it as an expression of God's love, you go, man, that encourages me the way you, you love people and serve people. But I'm not going to be dazzled by it. If, in the other words, God uses you to reveal new truth that's going to set me on a course of enlightenment that's going to change my life. I'm I'm like, hey, bro, open that mouth again. Similarly, if I'm with you and we're walking around and we come up against somebody that we can't speak their language because we're traveling together through Europe and we're Americans, which means that we are monolinguistic, all right? (laughs) Uh, And we're in trouble, and all of a sudden you open your mouth and you start speaking in a way that I go, Blake, man, I didn't know you knew French. I didn't know you knew, uh, you know, German. And you go, I didn't either. But you are doing it in a way that's allowing us, and I'll talk about why you would be able to do that specifically, probably not to order a croissant, all right, or, or have your mug refilled with a cold one. It'll, it'll, it, it's uh, it's going to be for another purpose. But I'm going to go, dude, that was something, and that was impressive. And I, I wouldn't mind seeing more of that. And so what happens is people sought those more miraculous gifts in a way that became destructive, non-edifying, and a distraction to the purpose through which those gifts were originally given.
0: Okay, so let's transition and talk about those gifts specifically. First of all, the gift of tongues. Um, and t- Kyle, you said very well we need to to define what it is we're talking about <sighs> to bring clarity to that. So let me just ask real simply: What is the gift of tongues? Miriam.
1: Go ahead. I think, yes, you. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So there's two there's two words in the New Testament that talk about uh, tongues. One is the actual physical tongue, the the organ of your body, the tongue. And then there's a word that talks about a known language. And those are the only two words that are used. In the New Testament. So, the, tongue, the tongues that happened in Acts chapter 2 were known languages for the purpose of those folks that were in Jerusalem at that time did not speak the common language that was there so that everybody could understand the gospel and hear it clearly. So that, that when you walk through 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, when you see the word tongues, that's what they're talking about is a known language.
1: Yeah, let's, let's, let me jump in. The, yeah. w- the two words in, in, in the Greek, one is glossa, mm-hmm. all right? It's where you get either the physical organ, which is a tongue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's where we get the English word glossary from. Uh, a glossary, as you guys know, is, is a set of defined terms with accompanying meaning. See the key statement there? There's always meaning. And it's clearly defined what that meaning is. That's why you have a glossary so people can understand. There's another word called glossolalia that is gibberish. That word is never used. An undistinguishable tongue. Uh, the other word that, that we're going to look at. Let's let's look at Acts two. It's just way too important to a text. Absolutely. And so, and I'll show you what I did in in, in preparation for this.
0: Can it's, I ask you a question before you jump to Acts yeah. two, real quick, Todd? So Acts is obviously where there's a lot of controversy around this book. And before you jump into chapter two, just on a general, from a general perspective, how should we even approach the book of Acts? It, Some people, when when we have this discussion, they argue that, hey, look, it happened in the book of Acts, so therefore it should happen today as if Acts was normative. And then others would argue, no, 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 that was a, a unique period in time, it was formative, so help us understand just even our the lens through which we should see Acts before we jump yeah, into the Yeah, chapter.
1: let me make sure. I, 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 the other word is dialectus, okay. and I'm going to show no. you where that shows up, okay? No. okay? You're now asking a broader question about Correct. biblical hermeneutic, which is a way to understand or explain a specific text. Right. So what Blake just asked us is, the book of Acts is often a go-to book for people that have been confused by this issue. And, and I want to tell you, there's no shame in being confused. The Bible is a difficult book. In Second Peter, chapter three. In fact, I think I gave uh, even that to those guys back there to put up. We'll come back. He's already ahead of me. Look at the way the man thinks. All right. In Second Peter, chapter three, it, it talks about how how there are, are some things that Paul wrote, which are difficult to understand. Which I, I can't read that, but I think it says that the untaught and unstable distort to their own destruction. And so, that's why you find Paul also uh, kind of saying what Peter's saying here. To look, at. Paul's stuff can be difficult. Now, Acts is not Paul's stuff, but 2 Timothy 2 is Paul writing, and he says this. 2 Timothy 2.15. It says that each of us have got to study God's Word in a way that we show ourselves to be workmen who accurately handle the Word of truth. Okay? So we won't need to be ashamed is what it says before even that last little clause. So Blake is asking the question, how do you accurately handle the book of Acts so that you're not going to be ashamed of taking something that was formative in the book of Acts as God was moving in a transitional time period from working in and through the nation of Israel as his primary means to declare his goodness to the world to this new nation, to use a word that Jesus used, this new people group that was going to be made up not just of Jews, but Jews and Greeks, slave and free man, barbarian and Scythian, male and female, um, that was going to be a kingdom of priests, see First Peter chapter 2. And so this transitional book where God's doing some things, there's some events that happened there. The ascension of Christ. <laughs> um, Pentecost that are as unrepeatable and unnecessary to repeat as creation itself, or the crucifixion. You just don't need to do it again because it's the moment that it happened. And so to go back to those events and say, we've got to reproduce those events to experience what they experienced, we're not going to reproduce. We, we, we don't believe that Christ is recrucified. crucified that's, that's a different view. Mm-hmm. Day by day. Um, there's not a massacre, which happens continually as the priest offers up uh, you know, symbolic provision.
0: That's another counterpoint. That's another
1: counterpoint. <laughs> what, what, what I would tell you is that those events don't need to be repeated, and what happened at Pentecost doesn't need to be repeated. So what I will share with you, though, is something did happen at Pentecost and continue to happen for a season after that, mm-hmm. that, that some people go, well, listen, we want God to use us as, as, as significantly and amazingly as He used them, so l- let's see if those things can happen with us. We want all the fullness of the Spirit We want everything to to manifest itself for God's glory in our day like it did in that day. And God would say amen to that. But you don't need to do what Christ did. You don't need to do what I did when I created. You don't need to do what happened at Pentecost. Pentecost instituted. It was not normative. It was formative. I'm forming a new work. And so let's go look at
0: Acts 2. So that's the crux of the issue, though, when we look at this, right? Is the argument, the hermeneutic of, is this a normative or formative book? I mean, that really is the foundation of, of this debate um, so in the book of Acts, Todd, it, uh, it, it appears as if people speak in tongues, like in Acts chapter 2, um, when they re- uh, when they receive the Holy Spirit, and then even later after conversion mm-hmm. in their spiritual journey.
1: Okay, there's four times in the book of Acts where you see a progression. And okay. so, you know, I'll write down Acts chapter 2, write down 8, 10, 10 and, 19. and 19. All right, what you've got there is God unfolding his work in a way that is affirming to the apostles, to the leadership of the church, that this is not a Jewish thing. It's a God thing. God's plan was always, by the way, to use the Jews to reach the world, not just reach the Jews. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it was going to be through Abraham, a descendant would come that would be a blessing to the nations. And so, God's going to now accomplish this intended blessing through the church because of Israel's rejection, which he always saw forecoming. God wasn't surprised. But in Acts 2, you've got The coming of the Spirit of God to the church. In Acts 8, you have the Spirit of God coming to the Samaritans. Samaritans were half-breeds, Jews and Gentiles who had intermarried. And so God's going to be very gentle in the way he's showing them. Acts 10, Cornelius, who is a Gentile, when he he receives the Holy Spirit, what he does, there's men there who speak in tongues. Interesting, Acts 8, there was nobody in the Samaritans that did Mm -hmm. um, at that particular moment. Um, In Acts 19, you've got a group of folks in Ephesus who were followers of John the Baptist, who believed in the repentance that John the Baptist preached, but they had not understood that Christ was the fulfillment of John's expectation. So when Paul explained to them what Jesus had done, they trusted in Christ, then they received at that moment, Okay, separate and subsequent. Now watch, this is what's key. Subsequent to the disciples in Acts 2, belief in Christ, they are baptized with the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Some Samaritans, when they understand Christ, subsequent to that, the Spirit comes. In Acts uh, 10, subsequent to their belief in Christ, the Spirit comes. Subsequent to the John the Baptist disciples' belief in Acts 19, 19, the Spirit comes. There is this error. It's called the doctrine of subsequence, that that's the way it's going to happen, that you trust Christ, and you ask Christ in your life, and then later, and subsequent to that... You ask the Spirit to come into your life. And that is what's called the doctrine of subsequence. They would say, and I, and I can tell you the historical roots of that, it wasn't throughout the church. It really didn't show up at the last century. Mm-hmm. Uh, through what was first the Holiness movement in England, uh, later the Pentecostal movement, out of that the charismatic movement, which has really now jumped denominations and is in many other different places. Charismatic movement gets its word from charisma, which is the Greek word for Gift. So it's a movement that focuses on the gifts. Mm-hmm. Where, what Christ would have us focus on is Christ, and he'll give gifts. So, so closing this rather long thing <laughs> up here, what you're asking is, why do you have to be careful with Acts? Because it is a transitional book where there are things in there that are descriptive of what happened, but not prescriptive. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is that Peter never talks about speaking in tongues. James never talks about speaking in tongues. In fact, James does talk about using your glossa. And the sign of a New Testament believer is not that he speaks or prays in a language which he can understand. It's that he controls the glossa, mm-hmm. James 3, that he has. That's a mark of the Spirit's evidence in your life. You control your tongue. And you speak in a way that builds people up, not in a way that confuses and brings division.
0: So how would Acts 2, the purpose of tongues, be different than, let's say, chapter 10? So 2 with Pentecost and 10, you've got Cornelius with the Gentiles.
1: Well, what he's showing is that, hey, listen, the same fullness, the same identification with Christ, the same Mm -hmm. manifestation of the Spirit that happened to you happened to them. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek.
0: Both both have the Spirit of God. Yes, you've got the Spirit. There is no limitation. Okay, so... So let me jump from Acts, if I, if I may. Well, I think we ought
1: to read it, because I want okay. to show you, because right. it really is going to be helpful to us as we go forward, and then we'll, then we'll jump to 14, because I think this is where we're going to center, because I'll tell you, by the way, we have not mentioned what is the greatest area of confusion. Everything we're talking about, and we're about to read in the first 13 verses of Acts 2, has to do with a dialect, a known language, a glossary of terms, understood words with defined accompanying meaning. Let's read it. The day of Pentecost had come, all were together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire as distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. There's the word glossa, with other words, other meanings, with a different, their, their organ, if you want to even say, was being used, like it's not theirs. All of a sudden, instead of being a Gentile or even a Galilean tongue, now we've got a Phrygian tongue, an Egyptian tongue inside your mouth, which is just a way of describing, humanly speaking, that, hey, that's something different. That's a different dialect, a different language. Okay, I don't have a French tongue. All right, now that boy, I have used it, Careful. the French.
0: <laughs> I do have a French tongue. Right? This is my interview. Let's let's. All right, So all right. All right. So, I'm about uh, to have to shift to Kyle before you get us all in trouble. I will go and let one of the fruits
1: of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, self-control <laughs> kick in. Here we go. Uh, so it says the Spirit was giving them utterance. The Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews, and note that the utterance that the Spirit was giving them was a known language. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together, were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own dialectos, language. They were amazed, they were astonished. Hey, aren't these guys all Galileans? How is it that we each hear them in our own dialect, language, to which we were born? And then you're going to see a list of them. Because it was a time of uh, one of the feasts, and so Jews from all over the diaspora were coming back. And so that they might hear, you're going to listen to what they heard. They heard these guys in their own tongue speak about the mighty deeds of God, what he had done. That first message at Pentecost that led to the start of the church. There were guys from uh, the Parthenians, the Medes, the Elamites, m- residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, Rome, Jews, and all the Cretans, Arabs. We hear them, watch this, in our own tongues, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they continue in amazement with great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? And some said, They're drunk. And Paul, that's when Peter spoke up, said, They're not drunk. What you're seeing here is God. And he goes and he quotes, From Joel chapter 2, these men are filled with the Spirit and they can do things that only the Spirit of God can do, which is to take your tongue, which is trained to speak one way, and give it a supernatural ability to speak another. And it's an authenticating sign, which is what God always did. I need to just drop this in right here. We'll come back to it on Signs and Miracles. But in Acts... It's the start of one of the four great works of God. When God revealed who he was through the law. When God corrected the errant understanding of the law through the prophets. When God came and fulfilled what the prophets expected, which is the Messiah. Which is God with us, who would come and be the physical manifestation of God. And shepherd the people the way the false shepherds did. not And then when he left behind his church, filled with the Spirit. You're going to find miracles, signs, and wonders always show up with a high density at the beginning of each of those major workings of god revelation find it again in the book of revelation when god is uh, commencing the end time when he's he's consummating all of his work you'll see it again but, but, but when, he's when, always revealing something new right he's when, gonna, well he's authenticating maybe this way uh, he's authenticating that this new work is, in fact, of him. Right. And he does it through signs and wonders, What you'll see in every one of those. With Moses, a lot of signs and wonders early. And then uh, Elijah and Elisha, a lot of signs and wonders. And then Jesus early on. And then all of a sudden he says, there'll be no more signs. In fact, Jesus never did signs on demand. He never did them at crucial moments. Herod, hey, man, show me who you are. I ain't going to show you Jack. Because that's not the purpose of signs. Satan, show me who you are. I'm not going to show you Jack. I'm going to quote you God's word. In, in Matthew 12, verses 38 and 39, Jesus says it's a wicked, a perverse generation that seeks a sign. And, um, and so it, signs and wonders is not what we should seek, but he's going to use them. That's why Jesus said, look, anybody can show up and say, I'm your man. But who can walk on water? Who can raise the dead? Who can feed multitudes? So once I've established, if you don't believe me, believe the works that I do. Once he establishes that, he says, I'm done. Because this is not a show to make me popular, and it's not something I'm going to do to make you amazed. It's authenticating. And so what would you expect God would do when he's about to leave behind those which he expects to represent and start a new work where the majesty of God is going to be proclaimed? You would imagine there'd be a lot of signs and wonders early on. That's why... Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, the one I read earlier, as apostles, those sent forth, we're going to do a lot of these things. But then you don't see them later. You don't see this as a sign of spiritual maturity or effectiveness, these miraculous sign gifts. In fact, he says some of the more miraculous ones are going to stop.
0: Okay. We'll talk about so, that in a moment. So, for the sake of time, I've got to push. Let's look at 1 Corinthians, okay? Um, you both have made the point that this is a known language. 1 Corinthians 13 is often quoted, right? If I speak with the tongues of angels. So what's Paul talking about there? Is that something different? Kyle? Yeah, he's, he is just using hyperbole in,
2: in that particular place. To say, hey, even though if I speak with the tongues of men and the tongues of angels but don't have love, and he's just using an exaggeration, Mm -hmm. I I just think that's for those folks that say that's evidence of a prayer language, to say that the tongues of angels is the same thing as a prayer language, which we don't even find in the Scriptures, seems like a little bit of a stretch to me.
0: Okay, well, before we jump to the prayer language, let me ask you, so in 1 Corinthians 14, okay, um, in verse 5, he says, I want all of you to speak in tongues. So should we then conclude, I mean, 1 Corinthians is different. It is an epistle. It's not a historical book like we made the distinction before in our yep. hermeneutics. So should we conclude that, hey, that's something that, that he would want for all of us to do is to be able to speak in tongues?
1: Okay, so let's, let's, let's just jump where we are. We are now in Corinth, the church that was abusing a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. From their own body uh, to being confused about the word of God to receiving Error is truth, and rejecting truth is error. Uh, and and there's a large section in 1 Corinthians that one of their problems is that they are not loving and serving one another. Um, Paul specifically is going to start to speak with them and share with them about how they're misusing the gifts, and they're seeking the more miraculous gifts. And he says, the reason you're doing that is is because... This bringing you a lot of attention, and so when, when he says, "Now look, we're saying a lot of things here that that need discussion, and it's not if you're here today to go. Well, let me tell you another perspective. I, we realize you're not getting that, okay? And, and and um and I will just say this in fairness to the people who believe in this thing called prayer language, even that camp doesn't really go to First Corinthians 13 as the primary place for for this thing called. Prayer language, but but to, to, to Kyle's point, the way you know that is Paul goes on. He said, "Look, if I gave all my money away, okay, um, if I if I moved a mountain, okay." So he's talking in hyperbole there. If I spoke like a man or like an angel, like like Winston Churchill, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if I'm not loving because that is the ongoing, perpetuating, authenticating sign that you're filled with the Spirit. Why? The, the 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 authenticating sign that you fill with the Spirit is that you bear the fruit of the Spirit, not that you have one particular gift of the Spirit. Corinthians were bragging, fighting, self-promoting, using the gifts in a way that children often do, and it, it, it's almost like saying this. And I'm going to use kind of a uh, maybe a crass you know uh, illustration. Be like I, I walk in and my kids are fighting. There's three Twinkies in the room. There's six of them, and I go, What is wrong with you? But you know the reason I gave you those to share and to encourage each other and some of you guys had a chance to be hospitable. But I I I wish you all had Twinkies so you'd quit fighting over them. Twinkies aren't the thing. Love is the thing. And so you're asking me what I think Paul means when he Mm -hmm. says that. Mm -hmm. I think what Paul means is I wish you all had this gift so you'd quit fighting over that gift because that gift is not the thing.
0: Okay. So uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, now let's move to 14 because that's where it seems to give the most instruction help us understand what paul is trying to explain there okay and specifically help us understand the, the beginning of that, that chapter first two specifically is a difficult first text two, yeah. pursue love
1: verse one says does that sound familiar if I, if, if, he said in verse corinthians thirteen <laughs> okay i don't care how you speak if you don't have love you got nothing uh... he goes at he, he says at the end of uh... chapter thirteen hey look prophecy is going to be done away with tongues are going to cease But love never is going to go away. It's going to endure forever. Verse 14. I mean, chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love. I mean, do you kind of catch a theme here? And then he says, Yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. There's nothing wrong with that. Especially, though, though, that you and I prophesy. Now, to a group of folks who didn't have a Bible, who didn't know what really God was doing to edify, build up the church to maturity yet, he said, listen, prophecy is a better one than this thing called tongues. He said, look, here's the reason why. Because one who speaks in a tongue. Now, based on what we've taught you so far, What is a tongue? A tongue is a dialect, a known language, a glossary of terms with accompanying meaning. He said, if you speak in a tongue that no one here understands, okay, God who understands all languages gets it, but nobody here in the church that you are to edify. Remember, with ease, you are enabled to encourage, edify, and build up the body of Christ. Paul says, you're in here talking French to a bunch of Englishmen. And it ain't doing them any good. It'd be better that you prophesied. Because there you're revealing to everybody in a language they understand truths about God that they need to know. So what he's saying there in verse 2, in the context of the whole text, mm-hmm. is guys, when you speak in a tongue, it's not like there's a prayer language that only God understands. Okay? There is nowhere in Scripture, these two words together, prayer tongue, doesn't exist. Some people will go here and go, wait a minute, I've had this experience. Mm-hmm through this Pentecostal charismatic expression where I think I've received this ability to, to pray in a tongue. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, I'll talk about that with you in a minute. But, but And they'll go, well, I've got to find a place to fit my experience in Scripture. This is the place I'd go. Verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men but to God. They go, my prayer is not to you, it's to God. Okay? Now, I, I don't need to go back through yet and tell you what I will say to that, but Ask me to, and I'll tell you.
0: (laughs) I'm going to skip so that Mr. Kegler can participate over here. (laughs) Thank you, Blake. So, Kyle, um, you both have made it a point that it's a known language, um, not necessarily a private prayer language, um, but we've often heard of people talking about how they pray in the Spirit. So, What does that mean, praying in the Spirit? Yeah, so I would say there's a
2: ton of places in the New Testament that talk about, you see words like, Abide, remain, dwell, pray without ceasing, walk in the Spirit. There are are synonyms all through the Scripture for what it means to walk intimately with Christ and to have a relationship with Christ. And I think in the Spirit is exactly that, that it's just another way to say that you're walking in the Spirit, that you're walking, there's a lot of places also... In Paul, where he talks about being in Christ, is one of the terms that he uses. And so I think all those things are saying the exact same thing. Live, abide in the vine, like it talks in, talks about in John 15. That there's just such a connection between you and Jesus, that the heart is that we're always doing what God wants us to do. Pray without ceasing. So, so it, it, it's not
0: necessarily when you talk about uh, praying in the Spirit, we don't necessarily have to connect those two with, um a private prayer language. Well, no, no, those are those are don't connect it those really are different. Yeah. Not
1: right. only can you not, there is no such thing as a private prayer language that I can find in Scripture. Okay. okay? And and so to, to go to ephesians Ephesians six eighteen, which is where it says to, to pray continually in the mm-hmm. Spirit, mm-hmm. you look at the context of that. And, and and there's no indication there that that
0: means speaking in a separate language that we can understand that only the Spirit and God commune with. Perfect. So Kyle, nope. you're a pastor on... Staff at Watermark, somebody no. comes to you and goes, hey, this, this is a means of grace to me. This is how God ministers to me. I, I have a private prayer language, and, and I feel like what you're saying, you're invalidating what, what I'm experiencing. So how, how do we respond to those? Uh, people who mean well and say, hey, I've got the gift of tongues. Yeah. And I would just say that's happened to me a ton of times. I went to all Roberts, have been involved
2: in the charismatic movement, have spoken a prayer language, have been slain in the spirit, have done all that all that kind of stuff. My heart was in the right place when I did that, but I would look back and say that was an error in what, what I was doing. But that happens to me a lot. Folks will come up. And, so, and I would just say, and I've got great friends that I would be in a foxhole tomorrow with that have a prayer language. Mm-hmm. But what I say to them is just, hey, I, it concerns me that you are doing something that I cannot find in the Scripture. And so the, the issue with that is there is a chance somewhere along the line that you could be led astray. When you've got a prayer language, you think you hear that from the Lord, you, you're Interpreting something that potentially is ex- extra, and so again, great friends would be in a foxhole tomorrow with people that do that. But I think there is a danger of having that prayer language potentially to be led to be led astray from the doctrine.
0: Okay, so let me ask you just point blank, both you guys, yep. the question that I think everybody here just wants, to just hey, yeah. ask the question. <laughs> so, has the gift of tongues ceased? So. mean and and is watermark uh, does it believe in cessationism yeah
2: let me jump on that so here's what i would say and we get this question all the time and so i just hopefully we can clear it up today is that watermark is not a cessationist church we believe that god can do whatever he wants whenever he wants however he wants through whomever he wants so we are not a cessationist church now to answer your question, Blake, if God wants to use the gift of tongues to authenticate his message, which is what the purpose of that is, he can still do that. We, we've said already that it's not normative okay, for, what, for what happens. So let me tell you just a little commentary on that. I believe that you see those things more in other countries where God has to authenticate His message. The reason that... He can still do it in the U.S. The reason He doesn't do it in the U.S., I think, is because He has given our country so much biblical revelation that He doesn't need to do that. He doesn't need to authenticate His message because we've had over the last 250 years, we have been so blessed as a country with all of the great teaching and all the great stuff, and we have been that generation... Okay, that now that we're starting to be the generation that rejects that, but uh, so can God still do it? Absolutely. Does He still do it? I think He does. Okay. I just don't think that He does it in a place where we've had as much revelation as we've had over the course of the last 250 years.
0: All right, Todd, you want to speak to this? Uh, yeah. Uh, um, you know,
1: listen. I, I I I will tell you. There's a couple things. You know, and that message that's on there, Blake. Um, that you know, the gift of tongues, what it was, what it never was, and is it for today. I've got to do a couple of things when you ask me the question. Well, what do you mean when you say, has tongues ceased? What mm-hmm. is tongues? Mm-hmm. And what do you mean by cease? And, and and cessationism. And so, by tongue, what are you talking about? Prayer language or the biblical gift? That I, no, I,
0: I want to, we will separate the two, not prayer language. Okay. Okay, you've yeah. you made it clear that you don't believe in, Kyle, you don't believe that there's, that that, is biblical. Yeah. So the biblical gift, as okay. defined in and First Corinthians, fourteen, yeah. so has that. Re- the reason that
1: matters is ninety-nine percent of the time, mm-hmm. maybe more. Mm-hmm. When people ask you about tongues, they're talking about this thing called prayer language, which is which you've got to address that before you can even talk about when it's stopped. If something that doesn't exist and has never existed, how can it stop? Right. Okay. Now there is this experience that people have, and so with great tenderness, with gentleness. It talks about in First Timothy 2. Mm-hmm. You know, you correct those that are in opposition and teach them why. And I'll tell you why I answer the prayer language thing the way that I do. Because mm-hmm. I think there's real issues with it. Okay? But um, l- let me just take you to Scripture real quick. First Corinthians 13. Mm-hmm. This is where Blake's getting the question. Verse 8. Love never fails. But if a gift of prophecies, they're, they're going to be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, then the partial will be done away. So, so the question is, has the perfect come? Okay? And so what is the perfect is the question. There's a lot of different interpretations about that. I'll tell you how I understand this and why. Uh, he, Paul goes there in verses 11 through 13. He says, look, I'm not going to be like, when I'm a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child, but I can became, became a man I did away with childish things. For now we've seen a mirror dimly, but then face to face. I know in part, but then I'll know fully. So I think he's talking there about the perfect that will come. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it will come when we meet Christ. Or when the church meets Christ at the rapture or at, 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 when we go to be with him, the church won't need prophecy anymore because we're going to know him fully. We're not going to need teaching anymore. We're not going to need um, tongues to tell us because we're all going to be reconciled to him. Mm-hmm. But what we're going to still need to do is love. Love will never fade away. And so I think the perfect is the completion of the church. By the way, interesting enough, the word used for perfect is the word used for mature in Ephesians 4. When when he says in there, in Ephesians chapter 4, until you attain to the full measure of a man, to all the maturity, the perfection of Christ. And so when you are like Christ, do you need somebody to declare to you the majesties and the wonders of God? Do you need somebody to give you new revelation about who God is if you're like Christ? Of course not. So I I think, here's the deal. So the church isn't home yet, so is it possible that God would use people, me and Vickery? Mm -hmm. I I think if I needed to, and God wanted me to be the vessel through which he revealed himself to somebody from uh, some foreign land who lives in Dallas, I think I could speak in a tongue if that's what he wanted me to do. And then I would have that ability. But uh, so I don't think it ceases. We're not cessationists in that way. God can do what he wants to do with who he wants to do it. I will always tell you this, though. The purpose of spiritual gifts is always to build up the body, not to impress you with who I am or not for my own edification. But okay. let's get to prayer language, because that's what people want to know about.
0: Okay. So you've got a minute. The softball pitch there, Todd, uh, I asked earlier to Kyle, I asked you, how do you respond to the person who does say, hey, I have a private prayer language. And I, I, you're telling me that doesn't even exist. But Todd, this has been, this has blessed me. I feel closer okay. to God. Excellent. Well, first of all, I would remind you, the purpose
1: of spiritual gifts is not to make you feel closer to God. The purpose of spiritual gifts are to edify the body. And they would say, well, wait a minute, when I pray... In a tongue that God understands, it does edify the body. When you pray it, it, it's good for other people. And I would say that's fine, but there is no evidence anywhere in Scripture that that is what that is. The whole prayer language thing, there, there, it hasn't existed in the history of the church, except uh, with a Montanist in the 4th century. Montanists denied the deity of Christ. It was considered an aberrant, skewered-off group that was not a part of the church. It then came back through the holiness movement, in England later adopted in the Azusa Street Revivals here through the Pentecostal movement that then jumped the and became charismatic now look when, when people are wanting intimacy with God they'll cry out for anything and if someone takes you to scriptures that are difficult to understand the be untaught and unstable distort to their own destruction mm-hmm. and you want more of God I understand why you're going to go there and experience is a very powerful thing I would just remind us that experience is not how we should interpret scripture that is called eisegesis When I take my experience and I look for a place to find that affirmed in the text, as opposed to going to the text and taking what is there and bringing it out.
0: Okay, Let me do this. This is what is known as the lightning round. (laughs) (laughs) And so after about 30 seconds, I'm going to hit the buzzer. But one of the things I know people have come in here to to, to also hear is not just tongues. I want to hit on the whole topic of healing real quickly, okay? Just generally speaking, there are those who will argue that they have the gift of healing, okay? Um, That they have been supernaturally gifted in ways other people have not been to heal those who are sick. Um, And so my question for you is, is how do you respond to those who argue that they have this super supernatural gift of healing today. Of healing. Of healing. Go Kyle. Well, I, I would
2: just say I I, I I have not seen somebody that I, I think has credibility in all of my time looking at the charismatic movement. I was at ORU, all that kind of stuff that had the divine ability to heal. That mm-hmm. I believe that just like Peter did, like Paul did in the New Testament that God can use any of us at any time to pray for anyone who is sick, and God, if He wants to, can use them to heal. I don't believe that you can grab somebody that has a special anointing or dispensation or whatever that is that prays, and they have a better opportunity to get that person healed than somebody else does.
0: Okay. So, Kyle, would you argue that God still heals people today or that he does
2: Well, I would just say, look, the heart of God and the the theme of the New Testament is redemption and restoration and healing. It's what God's doing in all of our lives. So I think that's what he wants to do. And healing is taking place at Watermark every day. I can't tell you how many stories of life change we have the opportunity to to hear and so miracles are taking place healing is taking place all those things are happening at watermark every single day we hear stories so that's happening and that's going on it may not be the spectacular what you see on tbn or something Mm -hmm. like that but healing is taking place
0: on this campus and at other great churches around our world so kyle when i've heard people say to me i I just you guys y'all don't believe that god still works miracles
1: they're not paying attention I mean, that's, that's, that's all we celebrate here every weekend. If somebody, by the way, comes let me say, I got the gift of healing, I'm saying, praise God, man, use it to the glory of the Father. But don't sit there with people in the wheelchair in the front row and start asking folks with tennis elbow and psoriasis to come up so you can heal them. And don't go through these carnival tricks and this shikester mentality that is out there in a lot of the faith healing movements. And I've been in the middle of them to help understand them and expose them. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, Blake, it is evil. It's dark.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, do I believe God heals? Yes. Do I believe God has the ability to heal? Absolutely. Do I pray for healing? Yes. Do I have a special ability in the office as elder or as a man with a unique gift to do it? And I would tell you, I don't. But I know the effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so we don't have time to go there. I don't even think we should. But Brett Johnson taught on the whole James 5 passage about coming to elders with somebody who is sick, which is a word that is better understood as weak, spiritual sickness. And, um, and why we don't say you need to come to us and get anointed with oil. It really has more to do with a spiritual condition than a physical condition. We've taught on that extensively and you can find that on our website under James five, Brett Johnston. So I, I think that, um, when I'll just say use it the glory of God, but do not, um, uh, get caught up in this nonsense, which is a lot of this faith healing movement every time. And I say just when you use it, don't blame other people for their lack of faith when they're not healed because that is not consistent with what Scripture uses. Scripture doesn't blame it on the recipient as the reason they weren't always healed. Mm -hmm. Okay, And so if you've got the gift, use it to God's glory and don't draw attention to yourself.
0: So Todd and Kyle, just a final closing minutes here. We made the point, People, obviously the number of people that are in here, there's so much confusion around these subjects we discussed today. What, What do you say to those who are members at Watermark who are interested in joining Watermark, who disagree with the views they've heard today.
2: Well,
1: I, I tell them that as they go back through, specifically when folks ask me about the one that's the most controversial, because it's the one that most people have experienced, which is this prayer language, mm-hmm. you know, in that one message, and they give tongues what it was, what it never was, and is it for today. I ended with I used to tell people, man, just go do what you're going to do alone. And, and don't proselytize, don't, don't try and share it with others. But honestly, if it's a real means of grace to you, how can you in good conscience not share that with others? Why would you not want to? But, but I would just say, can I reason with you for a second? And I would just tell them, I'm not going to argue with your experience, because I, I don't know what your experience is. And I, and I don't want to tell you what your experience was. Mm-hmm. But, but my job as a shepherd is to, is to help you wrestle with scripture. And so there's five Ps that are quick, worth going through. I can do it in a minute. Mm-hmm. And, and you guys go back and listen to that message. But I just say, first of all, what's the purpose well, what's the purpose of your prayer language? Paul numerous times in 1 Corinthians 14 says, I, I, don't, I don't want to pray okay, in the spirit because I can't understand it. It doesn't do my mind any good. He said, I want to pray with my mind and my spirit. Both. Both. At the same time. Like Jesus says, worship in spirit and truth. And so why would you want a language that you don't understand what you're praying? And what's the purpose of that? Secondly, I say, what's the possibility? The possibility, since we find no evidence for this thing that you're talking about in Scripture, is that you're being deceived. It's something else. Or at the very least, that you're wasting your time, which gets me into the next one. That, 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 that It's what it prevents that's the problem. And to me, it's like TV. TV isn't a problem because of what it brings into our home as much as what it prevents. When my TV's on in my house, I'm not engaging with my kids. I'm not talking with my kids. We're not building memories, and our hearts aren't melding with one another. And so when you're praying this prayer language, it's preventing you from really melding your heart with God. But again, they'll go back now, and they'll say, but I feel like I am. And, and again, that's my fourth P. The primary justification that people use for a prayer language is their experience and their feeling. And, and I would just tell you, make your primary justification truth. Because if you follow your experience and you're feeling a lot, that's not going to work out well for you. I feel like eating ho-hos and cupcakes at every dinner. But that's not going to work out well for me. I feel like venting in anger. And, and one of the problems that's come through this whole charismatic movement, it's changed worship. Mm-hmm. It's changed music. It's changed prayer. It's changed discipleship. Hey, you don't have to work hard, trust, and obey, study God's Word. Just ask for God to give you this gift, and you elevate to this ability to speak in a language that makes you feel good. But that's just not the way you mature. And so the primary justification concerns me. And then I just end up with this, what it promotes. It promotes disappointment because eventually you're going to need another ecstatic experience. It gives you more. It won't sustain you. It won't be there for long. It it promotes pride. I've got something you don't, divisiveness and chaos in the church. And and it separates us from one another. And so so there's a lot of reasons why I go, there's a real issue with that that concerns me. Mm And, and I would you know, and I'd Just go back and say It's not necessary For spiritual leadership 1 Timothy 3 Titus 1 When it talks about Spiritual leaders in the church Never mentions that thing It's not nurturing to others It's not never ending Someday it's going to stop it is, and, it's, and nowhere in scripture Do we have anything That says it's normative This idea of tongues period And then Never in scripture Do we find any evidence That it's a prayer language So that's what I do On that one Blake I just go Because I love you mm-hmm. I've got to teach you that Now look We don't all agree on everything right away, and so I want to do that with gentleness and care, and I want to keep reasoning with you from the scriptures, Mm -hmm. and with gentleness, correct those that are in opposition, but as a shepherd, why would I want to do something that prevents them from intimacy, promotes confusion, is the possibility of introducing a lot of error, and doesn't allow them to be formed spiritually the way the scripture says. I know they've got that experience, but boy, I've had a lot of experience that I go, God's got to be in this because it sure feels good, Mm -hmm. and that's just not reliable. That's what I'd say to him. We love them. Let's keep pursuing Jesus together.
0: And, and again, just to define the difference between the gift of tongues and the private prayer language being two different things.
1: Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. listen, if you've got the gift of tongues, man, go with me to Africa now, and you'll be my translator. Yeah. By the way, whenever you use the gift of tongues, that's the other thing about First Corinthians 14. Every time Paul talks about it there, he always says you shouldn't use it without an interpreter present. So even if you've got the gift of a private prayer language, if, if there is such a thing... I would just say, don't pray that way without an interpreter. So he can say, this is what you just prayed. And I don't know anybody who does that.
2: I don't know anybody who does that. So, Kyle, any, one minute, man. Any closing thoughts that you have Yeah, I just at the beginning, you said a couple times, Blake, hey, we know that this is a confusing deal. And the thing that Todd and I and Blake talked about beforehand, and any time I jump into these conversations, I just go to 2 Timothy 2, uh, 24 and 25, and here's what it says. It says, And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps may God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And there are some really good, smart, godly people that differ with us on this. There just are. And we don't have the corner on biblical interpretation, but the men that are leading this church... And the folks that we have sought counsel from, this is kind of where we are and believe it is the, it's the right biblical interpretation. But we don't have the corner on that. We Amen. just do the best that we can to work together to rightly divide the word of truth. And when we do have differences... We go right here to 2 Timothy 2 and say, hey, let's talk together with gentleness yeah. and kindness as we work through
1: that. Blake, I'd give any, it's about five areas that if I could just change my view on it, my life would be a lot easier. And this is one of them. Because I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to argue. I want to get endless wrangling about words. But words do matter and beliefs matter because ideas lead to have consequences. And I've told you about some of the consequences that I think are out there. But I want to do it with love because I don't care how right I am. If we don't shepherd with love, we're not shepherding Christ's way. So I hope people who have a different understanding that we can sit with them, we can again. But we've got to get away from our own experience. Kyle has told you he's spoken in tongues. When I was a young man who just trusted Christ, I wanted everything Christ could give me. I was around folks who taught me and said, this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. And, I went and, and so I, I've had the same kind of experiences. But when I go back and look, so I'm not lacking experience. Mm-hmm. But I think what I would tell you is I grew in truth. Great
0: Well listen gang, it's been an hour. time flies <laughs> and there is no way in one hour we could cover all this. I have a hundred more questions I'd love to have asked them, right but um, hopefully this helps point you in the right directions. We've given you some books to look at. we've given you some messages to listen to and I would encourage you listen to those messages and if after having listened to those and hearing what we've got to say today, you have questions, Email us. Talk to us. Let us help you. We'd Amen. love to meet with you and talk to you through those things. Hey, Blake, I, I think they're going to
1: all really be really just encouraged with how much money we save by turning the air conditioning off in here today for this entire <laughs> movie. <meeting.
0: laughs> Everybody I always here tells me it's freezing at Watermark. And let me just say something. It wasn't freezing today. It was burning hot. So uh, this is Julie. For the Pinheiro. glory of God, Blake. We just yeah. now yeah. can
1: feed a few more children.
0: Hey, let me, let me say this also. This, this is... Um, we've had several counterpoints and covered a lot of subjects. If you can think of a subject that would bless you and your friends that you would love for us to discuss, email us, talk to us. We would love to uh, to jump into those subjects out there, which, quite frankly, a lot of people want to avoid. Hey, buddy, I'll say All this. Right. This blesses
1: me to look out here and to see this many people would carve out an hour at lunch to come. And as you're as equipping pastor sitting over there as a pastor, I hope I seek truth as fervently as you all do, and want to be a student of God's Word the way you all have. So, man, way to go, way to earnestly seek the, the spirit of truth. And I, I pray that it's helpful to you as you begin the journey to understand what is true. May God protect you from any error that we uh, forced you to listen to today.
0: Can we pray for us? <laughs> yeah, that's and
2: right we'll, we'll break. Father, I am encouraged by the folks who are here to... Um, Seek what you have to say, uh, about the gifts of the Spirit. All the gifts. And we focused on the sign gifts, but Lord, even using the, the other non-sign gifts are so important to the body of Christ being edified and encouraged. And so, Father, I pray that each person here would fully utilize the gifts that you've given them so that they may be effective, uh, Father, in ministry. I pray that you would use them to draw people to Christ. Pray that they would proclaim the gospel with boldness. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to mature our church so that we would continue to see life change and disciples made like we never have before. Thanks for the time. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.